Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Up first on our front page. These are the stories that we thought were more, most important this week. Chris, obvious first item. The media Biden honeymoon is over. I say play the sound. Play the sound. You told me a few months ago that you thought it was entirely likely that the Taliban would be taking over the country. But President Biden, quote, the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. He was wrong. The president has spoken to this issue a number of times in, in recent weeks. He, we expect he has that he not will speak looked, to it again. John, totally different story than a few weeks ago, right? I mean, why isn't he out there now? Kabul fell yesterday. Where is the president? Well, I'm curious to hear your reaction of this consequential speech by the American president. Didn't run from it. He owned it. I hope he gets to own their deaths, too. I feel like I watched a different speech than the rest of you guys. I was appalled. That is a montage of the coverage of the chaos that has ensued since the Biden administration ordered with the withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan. And I have to say, Chris, like the print coverage has been just as brutal. The Washington Post had a piece with the headline, Chaos Undercuts Biden Claim to Competence. And a quote from that piece that the images from Afghanistan have put on vivid display an inability to plan, an underestimation of a foreign adversary, an ineffective effort to scramble and make up for it. And as Biden demonstrated in a brief address Monday, an attempt to deflect full responsibility. I think that pretty much covers it. Ouch. Ouch. I want to find it because, as is very often the case, the Onion nailed it and it was... The Onion saying that the fall of Kabul raises questions about the legitimacy of the U.S. government. And it was right. A lot of the coverage has missed. And I know we're going to talk about and should talk about just the straight bias. You got a Republican president versus a Democratic president. You got Donald Trump doing something. You got Joe Biden doing something. And they get treated different ways. But the premise somehow that the press holds that the United States of America is infinitely capable, that many in the press hold, that the United States government is infinitely capable to do all things, and that the only way that you don't do well is because you're not competent. (laughs) There is not a competent way to flee a landlocked country 7,000 miles away when you are surrounded by... Ah, ah, but there is a less incompetent There's, way. I'm sure, a less incompetent way. I'm sure there is a less incompetent way, no doubt. But this is, again, the reflection of the federal government can do everything. And when the federal government is And that, like, the competent experts yes. can handle they this. Can... The thing that really jumped out at me, and I think the coverage has been very good, of the withdrawal from Afghanistan is I'm old enough to remember the Trump administration, which we both covered, and... Whenever news would leak or Trump would make an announcement that he was planning 
to pull troops out of Syria, not to retaliate against Iran, to meet with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Oh, I forgot Whatever it that. was, we'd get wall-to-wall media coverage before these things actually happened of the alarm bells going off in the administration, the military raising concerns, Trump advisors raising concerns. And I did go and look um, at the media coverage of Biden's announcement in July that he was setting a September 11th deadline Which was as for the dumb, withdrawal as, of American as dumb troops. as you could possibly make it. And it was covered, but there wasn't the same sense of, there wasn't the message broadcast from the media to people that this is going to be disastrous. And that's in part why I think this was so shocking to people. Well, if you believe that Trump is the problem, right? If you believe like what's wrong in America today, Donald J. Trump, if you think that's true, then you're like, okay, Trump's gone. We should be, everything should be, we, we have the adults are back in charge. Everything should be fine. Here's the Onion headline. Critics warn withdrawal from Afghanistan paints entirely accurate picture of U.S. government. <laughs> and yeah. Totally. Biden, it occurred to me that Biden gets the benefit of the doubt for being a member of the political class, yeah. basically, when he shouldn't. Bob Gates is right that he's been wrong on every major foreign every, policy every issue in his lifetime. Let's just the, the go tripart- over them. The partition of Iraq. Yeah, but yeah. he opposed the Gulf War. He opposed the surge in 2007. Obama tells us he opposed the raid that killed bin Laden. He, and there's there's little evidence that the media should be should have a presumption of competence when it comes to Biden's administration. I feel bad for Biden because I recall, and you'll remember this better than me, but I recall that the fight over in the fight over what are we going to do about Afghanistan, what are we going to do about Iraq for Trump or for Obama, that Biden was the in favor of the plan that is the I would say the center of gravity for the Hawks, which is small force in Afghanistan, relatively small footprint, but there to kill a terrorist as needed. That keep a get them out of Kabul, maybe, but keep keep a small U.S. footprint in Afghanistan for strategic purposes. And now he's got nothing. But look, my sympathies are obviously with the troops first of all, but my sympathies are also with politicians who, let's face it. We stayed in Afghanistan when Barack Obama did not want to stay in Afghanistan. We stayed in Afghanistan when Donald Trump did not want to stay in Afghanistan. Joe Biden thought he had a way out, which was this is a thing that Democrats want, not Republicans. Half, half of Republicans. Half of Republicans. Third of so, the, the 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 public issue polling on this stuff is very tricky because do you favor withdrawal from Afghanistan? Is do you think we should have dessert? Or do you think we should eat dessert first? Yeah, that sounds good. We should withdraw from Afghanistan. I was uh, going to say the way my pollster would phrase that question is my fictitious right. pollster is, do you think we should abandon our Afghan allies, women and, and right. children, and interpreters and American and, citizens? And this, and this is the the problem with issue polling. If I thought, you know, Quinnipiac had a poll that showed a lot of support for withdrawal, and there is a lot of support, and Republicans are overestimating how much trouble the issue itself. Now, the competency question is real, and when you combine it with inflation, when you combine it with problems at the border, you start to get a bad issue set for Biden going into 2022, and you can see how Republicans are going to exploit it. But Republicans shouldn't kid themselves. Americans, six months from now, are not going to still be alarmed about the plight of some will. But most Americans are not going to be alarmed about the plight of Afghanis. They will be when, like, a missile hits, uh, if, you know, Grand Central. If there's an attack, then Biden, the Republicans will have a, a lot more leverage. But Americans don't care about Haiti. Some American, I know you're listening and you're saying, I care about Haiti. Most Americans, when they see the news that Haiti has been hit by an earthquake, they haven't even 
rebuilt from the previous earthquake, Americans are like, yep, Haiti. Uh, or or their uh, Somalia. My favorite, I wonder if we can find this clip. If we can find it, we will play it uh, when in Clueless, Alicia Silverstone uh, does her debate topic on allowing Haitian refugees to come in. Okay, like right now, for example, the Haitians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And why wouldn't we party with the Hadians? So, Americans care personally about the plight of impoverished and oppressed uh, people around the world, but that doesn't mean they're going to want to reinvade Afghanistan. So there's a little trap there for the Republicans that if they push too hard against Biden, then they're going to get kablooied. Let's hear Let's hear Kaylee McEnany. Oh, that was like the worst transition ever. I was going to say, Chris, <laughs> you also had a bone to pick with the well, right wing's coverage. Well, now you detransition. No, I'm providing the transition you, you so this quote you makes de- sense. You, de- you detransitioned. Uh, so let's I, play Harris Faulkner interviewing Kaylee McEnany on Fox to see how this was covered on the right. Kaylee, this is not how the last president left the situation. No. But it has taken us 20 years to get to this point of whatever the decisions were that delivered us. Yes, let me be categorical in saying this. This would have never happened under President Donald J. Trump. It would not have. And Miranda outlined some of the differences, the conditions-based withdrawal. Also, our adversaries feared us. They noticed when President Trump took out Soleimani. They noticed when he, when he went into Syria after that horrible gas attack on the people. They took notice and they respected our commander-in-chief. And now you have it. Is, it is stunning to me, Harris. I was with you on Friday. 48 hours later, we have a newly declared terrorist-run country called the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. In 48 hours, and our Secretary of State said, this is not something that could ever happen between a Friday and a Monday. Well, it did happen between a Friday and a Monday. And you had Joe Biden telling us on July 8th, hey, it's highly unlikely the Taliban takes over. Well, they did. And let me be clear, we do not have a commander-in-chief right now. We have a vacationer-in-chief. We have a hider-in-chief who for six days has stayed silent. As Afghanistan has fallen. First of all, I totally agree with what you said earlier that this could be done better. But, and I think there's actually a pretty decent argument to be made that it never would have happened if Trump would have gotten reelected because, on many occasions on foreign policy, Trump was sabotaged by his own party and even his own administration. That over and over again, he would tweet, yeah, I cut a deal with Turkey last night. This is what we're doing in Syria, and it's no. And he got some of what he wanted. But if we were to compare, let's say, Trump with Putin in Helsinki versus what Trump administration policy towards Russia was two totally different things. Yeah, the idea that, like, had Trump actually gone through with this, it would have played out better is totally fanciful. Uh, I do think there's a chance that what you say, that he would have been stymied or scuttled by forces in his own administration is possible. Mitch McConnell and Senate Republican Tom Cotton would have started applying external pressure to the administration long before 
And by external pressure, you're saying Tom Cotton would have gone on Fox News and said, this is going to be a nightmare. He would have said that there and he would have said it everywhere. And, and Because here's what would have happened if Trump would have been reelected. That the same people who were like, "What we got? it's time to get out. We got to go. Would have said a betrayal of our allies, right? The, the, the fun, not everyone, but there's, and this goes back to that polling question. About a third of Republicans are pro-withdrawal. 60% of Democrats were pro-withdrawal. It's not close. The majority of Democrats have believed that the right. Afghan occupation was a bad idea. Going back to, to when Obama gave his speech at West Point to explain why we were going to pull out of Iraq and focus on the more virtuous war in Afghanistan. Good war. So the this was Biden trying to do what he has done on spending and a host of issues, which is take a layup that Trump left there. Oh, if Trump already cut the deal then I can do something Republicans don't like and Democrats do and not pay the political price for it because the Republicans will have to sit shtum while I do this. And as Kaylee McEnany makes clear, no, they will not. There is not a, the Republicans are not going to say, oh, you know what? Things happen. Life is hard. They're, and they're not going to acknowledge that this would have been a catastrophe under Donald Trump too. Up next, perhaps our this is, I'm joking, not our most important art, article of the week, item of the week. It's a beat, though. But, it's a sub-beat for Ink Stained Wretches. Yeah. Chris Cuomo <laughs> took to the airwaves at CNN, and he is breaking his silence on, uh, what are we calling this scandal? Nah, the, the Brothers Cuomo scandal. The least, of, of all of the Fairly Brothers movies, the least favorite. You know, there's that saying, like, when you're digging a hole, drop the shovel. Right. So, no. This guy persists in digging the hole, and here he is explaining his situation, which included communications advice on how to discredit women who accused his brother of sexual harassment. Oh, the Hillary Clinton. Yeah. It was a unique situation being a brother to a politician in a scandal and being part of the media. I tried to do the right thing, and I just want you all to know that. I just like the conceit that... He was unprepared for a unique situation. His Part of his job is not being prepared for unique situations, and it's the effort that counts. He tried to do the right thing. He tried. I, I say this, and I don't want to undercut our own subbeat here, but I am with these people now. Who could care at this? Like I'm with you. Honest to goodness, if you thought that you were getting the straight dope from Chris Cuomo. Yeah, to if be you, expected. If you thought that that was where you were getting the real, unbiased, totally straight down the middle. Then you really appreciate his apology. Then you're like, wow, he's really yeah. trying. But if you think that, then you you probably are a couple of McNuggets short of a Happy Meal. I got your item next. By the CNN suite is, I want to find it. It's The headline just tickled me so much, was about the multiracial America Oh, I have it up. So the headline is multiracial population grew in almost every county in the U.S. This is CNN reporting on the latest census results. It doesn't mean racism is over, is the CNN headline. It doesn't mean racism is over. Racism had ended. You are wrong, racist. You are wrong. You are even more secretly racist than the coverage of the census results, which came out last week, that talk about the change in America I should first say something boring, which is 
that the real reason for the huge shift, one of the biggest reasons for the huge shift in numbers of multiracial Americans is that the Census Bureau, which until the year 2000 only allowed you to have one race or ethnicity, and then in 2010 tried to open it up a little bit, has opened it up even more so that you can have a, you can describe yourself in more unique terms or more descriptive terms than just white, black. You uh, must be able to self-identify. Well, and I love the what that it's check white, enter what kind of white you are. Are you a German? Yeah. Are you a or and my favorite was Egyptian. And I'm like, I know a lot of people who are white and not white who would disagree with a lot of your descriptors of where things are going. But who cares? The point is the coverage left and right was pretty bonkers. And you had, I think it was Charles Blow wrote this piece that was like, yeah, white America, it's over. Like the enthusiasm, the excitement with which the resumption of a previously disrupted narrative about the end of majority white America, which by the way, is not right around the corner no matter what happens because this is still a 68% white country and it will still be a plurality white country for a century or whatever. But anyway, the, leaving that aside, and then you have Tucker Carlson and others who say they want whites to go away and you should be afraid. And so I'm looking at all this coverage and I, as a person who loves demography, go and read the when you look at the actual numbers, what the numbers say is America's doing a great job on race, aside from the way the press covers it, is that we have more intermarriage between racial and ethnic groups. One in five children is now, the, or one in five marriages is now between two ethnic groups. How we understand whiteness, how we understand blackness, how we, all of this stuff is always changing. It's not fixed. And the obsession with fixity of race is un-American, it's racist unto itself, and it informs all of this coverage that somehow how white you are or how black you are, and I will promise you this, and I wrote about this for the dispatch on Tuesday, I promise you this, the people who the Census Bureau now considers white, my grandmother's generation were not right. like, oh yeah, totally, are you Syrian? Yeah, hey white guy, you wanna come over for chicken and dumplings <laughs> after church on Sunday? No. These constructs, race is a construct and we do, it does change over time. And there isn't a black race and a white race and a Hispanic race and da da. No, we are a species that has a lot of diversity within it. And in the United States, we have managed to harmonize in really good ways, except for the fact that we have a press and a political class that tends to focus on the pluribum and not the unus. How do I say plus one? For that? Okay. Subscribe. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Our final item on our, the front page this week is the New York Times covering the news. The New York Times is covering the news that people need to know. Their art critic poses oh, yes. the question, can we ever look at Titian's paintings the same way again? There is a Titian exhibit, the Venetian painter, at the... Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston, and the critic says, quote, that the exhibition raises troubling questions about how, in art from the distant past, viewed through the lens of the political present, aesthetics and ethics can clash. And he takes issue with a paint, well, with all the paintings, but it's a series of paintings, one in particular, The Rape of Europa, and its depiction of a princess being abducted and uh, impregnated by a god who's in disguise. And the critic says, in fact, the whole cycle with its repeated images of gender-based power plays and exposed female flesh 
We don't have any of that these days. No, Exposed never happened. Flesh. Never Invites happened. hashtag Me Too evaluation and raises doubts about whether any art, however great, can be considered exempt from moral scrutiny. I was not actually aware that art had ever been exempt from moral scrutiny. Yeah, so case in point here on the uselessness of the New York <laughs> Times and the relativism of the paper, which takes no pains to help readers understand the context in which art was made. Or that the same paper who, I assume this very same critic, when they talk about transgressive radical art that is new, celebrates the how it offends your sensibilities and change and, and changes your paradigm. Great art makes you think about things differently. Titian liked a big painting. I will say one of the things that Titian has going for him is if, if you were doing art criticism by the square foot, the guy does big work. And I think that's good. Art criticism, here's a guy who's got to write about a new art show. And what is left to say about Titian? It's all been said. Everybody studied it in their art history class and all that stuff. So what do you say? And how do you, And so how do you tart that up? You tart it up by saying, there is a political angle here that we can do. It's the lazy way out. Before you go to, I want to make sure I play this sound because it's, I'm funny I know it sounds wrong because the Taliban are, is bad, but. Once again, the transition. No, no, this is, this is, I forgot to mention it during our discussion about Afghanistan, but let's hear what the Taliban, uh, Siri, show me how the Taliban and Matt Gates are similar. Go. This question should be asked to those people who are uh, claiming to be promoters of freedom of speech uh, who do not allow uh, publication of all information. I can ask Facebook uh, company. This question should be asked to them. So the Taliban, having learned the same racket as American politicians. To For the win- listeners trying to keep track, we're back on our Taliban item, right? We're, that's, I said, we're back on our Afghanistan I item. I detransitioned okay. Okay. the retransition. But the uh, there's the Taliban saying, how dare you criticize us? It is really Facebook and Twitter that's the real problem. You should talk about social media. So we know that is the first refuge for the scoundrel in the press conference is, oh, yeah, you think I'm bad. What about Facebook? So congratulations, Taliban, for figuring out how to hack the U.S. media game. Yeah, as if there's no difference between a government and a private and company a private doing company. any of these things. And I should say, if I'm rusty, it's because we were without you last week. That's true. I got stuck in Dallas without luggage. And, well, and what was that? I had traveled with my mic, but it was otherwise detained in my suitcase. What is the, what is, the, and this was your vacation out west? This was vacation out west, which was wonderful. What is the best thing? So I had never been to Jackson Hole. I really love Jackson Hole. And every guide or local we talked to out there said, it's terrible. The billionaires are pushing out the millionaires. I know, I know. And that no one can afford housing. And there really is a worker shortage there because housing is so expensive. The place does have problems, but I understand why the billionaires want to be in I, I was in there just after you. And as we flew in, you look and you're like, you're flying and you're like, oh, this is pretty nice. And then you look and there's private jets lined up. It is crazy. Like nothing, right? Match did you buff. go eat buffalo ribs at, the, at Gum Barrel? I was working, so I did not go anywhere but to the food that was put out for me to okay. eat. But it was very beautiful. And sitting in a hot tub at, you know, 6,000 feet above sea level, like a like the brown bear that I am, 
was truly enjoyable, and I liked it a lot out there. But I'm glad you're back. We missed you. I can't say I missed you while I was in Jackson, but oh, but I am surviving listeners. being you, back. You I know did. that. You know that. And Julie Mason did a good job in your absence, but that missed our listeners. All right, for sure. I missed you. Up next, our obsessions of the week. These are the stories that we can't get out of our heads. Over to you, Chris. A theme that you will hear me come back to again and again is contempt is poison, right? So the worst thing that you can have in a personal relationship, in any institutional relationship, in any of this stuff is contempt. Contempt is worse than hatred. It is a disdain for the other person. And that's no good. And I want to read to you an example of how contempt sells and how contempt is, and a lot of, this is very true at the Washington Post. This is very true at foxnews.com. This is very true at a lot of big outlets where what you're really selling is the scorn and disdain for the other side because that's what works best on social media. The Post recently had a story about the Cardinal Burke who was hospitalized. I don't know. I'm sorry if he has gone on to his reward since then, but the 73-year-old Cardinal who was hospitalized who had raised doubts about the coronavirus, so they had this piece. The whole piece was just like, this bad man is dying. Ha, 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 ha. And it's designed to trigger contempt. So I was reading the the Times coverage of the mask mandates and the anti-mask mandates that are taking place. So here is uh, the, a quote from the New York Times talking about Greg Abbott. Many states, cities, businesses, and schools have been scrambling to institute new mandates since Tuesday when the federal health authorities recommended that even fully vaccinated people should wear masks again in public indoor spaces in Delta variant hotspots and urged universal masking in schools. Not Texas. Now that... This is just the Texas version of the way DeSantis and everything he does right, in De- Florida has been covered. Yeah, well, it is also fair to say that DeSantis and Abbott are in a demolition derby race to see who can be the most magorific state governor of a Gulf state going into 2024. It is, they're, they're, bidding, they're bidding up the price. But the, what struck me, though, is just that standalone sentence, not Texas. And it's a news piece from news reporters. And, but the language of scorn and the language of contempt has seeped in so far that perhaps when they were writing it, it didn't even feel like editorializing. But to say, here's what all of everyone's doing, not Texas. It has that tone of scorn in it, and I would encourage you that as you're reading and as you're going around, be looking for who is being scornful and who is being contemptuous of points of view. And remember that why they're doing it, not to sound like Matt Gates and the Taliban, but why they're doing it is that's what clicks the best. That's the social media stuff that works the best. The other part of this, I think, is that the readers like you or like me, like people who share my, our views on these sorts of things, feel the contempt People can pick up on it, and that is why I think center-right folks have stopped reading the New York Times because you feel that these people do not hold you in high esteem. They take no effort to explore or explain why I, you think the way you do, I still, I still read the Times, and I would also, because I know, I hope that I'm able to navigate. I, I'm confident enough in most people's ability to read and not be influenced that I uh, always encourage everybody to have a, a, a very broad media diet and look Clearly, at, everyone's taking your advice. Clearly, it's working. But I, do, I, I think that it is true what you say, but it's also true that the right does it to the left and that this is part of the siloing 
where people only read, a growing number of people only read what is group think for their group. And the, one of the ways that you know that it's your group is the contempt that they show for others. And if you see people, whether it's at a right wing, mainstream, left wing, whatever, contempt is the killer and be on the lookout. Now my obsession. Obsessed. Uh, mine is fun. So <laughs> yesterday, people from all over the place started sending me their the meltdown at the Socialist Magazine Current Affairs, which played out on Twitter. So we will link that in show notes where several folks have chronicled this complete meltdown. Now, what spurred the meltdown? I'm sure you're asking. There were talks at Current Affairs about how to organize workers into a representative co-op so that there's no hierarchy and everybody's equally represented. And eventually, the founder of Current Affairs, a guy called Nathan Robinson, comes in when this actually starts to get some momentum and says, you know what? I thought about my obligations as a uh, God-fearing or non-God-fearing socialist, and I decided I want to be in charge. And so a an employee there has put the note that the staff wrote announcing this on Twitter, and in bold is the sentence, yes, we were fired by the editor-in-chief of a socialist magazine for trying to start a worker co-op. And it says that when they finally got around to discussing organizational models in a Zoom meeting, Nathan became agitated. He said he started removing people from the masthead, Slack, and sent letters requesting resignations. And they're totally shocked and heartbroken by this. And it ends. The left can be as lonely and vicious as anywhere else on earth. And we loved to not just contribute but shape a place of amity, camaraderie, joy, beauty, and truth. It is too bad that the current affairs workplace is not a place of joy, beauty, and truth. So Nathan Robinson then gets on Twitter and says, Imagine if you controlled your workplace and could decide how the money was spent and your boss was an elected leader rather than a feudal tyrant. What horror. So he's taking no prisoners. The Free Beacon has already declared solidarity with Nathan Robinson's authoritarian vision. But this was like, this was the collision of a mugged by reality moment playing out on Twitter and the playing out of everything on social media that is incredibly amusing. And I don't think people realize humiliating to them as they're sharing all of their inner feelings on Twitter. It's So we'll link the thread. Check it out. And what are the attributes of a good workplace? Hope, joy. Beauty. Hope, joy, and beauty. Yeah. All I can say is. Comedy. Amity. The amity that I can just say that the dispatch is definitely an AEI. Definitely hope, joy, and beauty. And coconut flavored LaCroix. So Well, the Free Beacon stands with current affairs editor and authoritarian Nathan <laughs> Robinson. The next potentate of Tajikistan. Yeah, exactly. No doubt, on, its, on its way. Finally, folks, we have our favorite items of the week. Chris, you have, I don't see yours in here. I did not put it in. The It is that the book Dope Sick that Beth Macy wrote about the opioid epidemic in Appalachia is coming out at the end of October as a movie. And it has Appalachian-American Michael Keaton in a big role. And I am very excited about this. Because you yourself, is that what, did you check that on the census? Appalachian-American? Appalachian-American. I put it in. <laughs> I 
I think I didn't say I think I didn't say what race or ethnicity I was because I'm opposed to us our fetishization. But the Beth Macy went and did a lot of great journalistic work in Southwest Virginia. It came after or contemporaneous to Eric Ayer, my former colleague in Charleston, West Virginia, won a Pulitzer Prize for his work on this stuff about the pill dumping and the pill mills of Appalachia and the explosion in addiction and how it was. That part of Virginia and West Virginia was really the epicenter for this stuff. So Beth Macy's book, Dope Sick, which was based on her, is now going to be a movie for Netflix, I believe. And I'm excited about seeing good journalism rewarded. And that's a cool thing. My favorite item, and we will link this, is a New York Post piece about a pay-for-play scandal behind lots of Playboy and Maxim covers. Oh, yes. I did not realize this, but apparently Playboy and Maxim, according to the Post, accept cash payments from women who want to be Playboy or Maxim cover models. And in exchange, presumably, they reap rewards in their career much more than the cash money that they paid. Their work on the pole uh, gets a a greater reward for having featured on the cover. So I loved the... The, the Post quoted the former editor of Playboy Slovakia, which I also did not re- realize there were various international editions for the fetish community out there. Slovakians are your things. There's apparently a Playboy Slovakia. So this guy has integrity, and he tells the New York Post that the practice was so rampant when he was running the magazine that he complained to headquarters saying it was watering down the brand. So cheers if- to this guy who is single-handedly maintaining integrity in journalism and ensuring that lesser women do not water down the brand of the Playboy I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Playboy Slovakia probably keeps it pretty real. I would say that they probably keep it pretty, pretty real. And the hilarious thing about Playboy as an entity is, this is what I love, Remember they went no nude for a while? I'm not actually an avid consumer of Playboy. So no, this so was I a big, it was a big media story okay. 15 10 or 15 years ago. It was after Christine Hefner lost control of the magazine okay. and it was like we're going to try and there'll be no nudity in Playboy and it was like Huh. So apparently you didn't get the joke when people said they just read it for the articles. You were not aware. Three cheers for Slovakian pornographers standing up (laughs) for for purity in journalism. I loved also there was a – so they also interview a Playboy photographer, and (laughs) this guy says, if the model is the girlfriend of a famous athlete, they will do it for free. But if she's Lacey, the stripper from Vegas, they want to give. It's a lot, makes a lot more. If you had the choice between the old days where you had to go in the grotto with Hef, or now you can just pay cash, I guess that this is a a more liberated way to get into a skin mag. Totally. That is all the time we have left today. That is your news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a glowing review. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.